And let me welcome you here. If it's your first time at Big Valley Grace, welcome over there in the venue. If it's your first time with us, we're, we're glad you're, you're here. Every, uh, every time you wake up in the morning, there, there are two things that I know to be true. Now, there's a lot of things I know to be true, but I want to give you two things. And this first one ought to really encourage you a lot, and, and that's this. Every day you wake up, God is there with you. The Bible says that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've become the, the temple of God, if you will, or the, the house that God lives in. All throughout the Scripture, we're, we're told that God lives inside of his people. In other words, uh, the Bible also says man does not live in a building made with, with man's hands. God doesn't sit in here and, and, and wait for you to show up next Sunday. He lives inside of you, believer. And so every morning that you wake up, um, he's right there with you. And that ought to bring great encouragement to you. That's a, that's a great theological truth. You, you, you can rest easy when you go to bed tonight. He's going to be right there with you when you wake up in the morning. And that's important because of the second truth that I know to be true, and that is this. Every day you wake up, there's, there's evil all around you. I'm one of these uh, lame old guys that still likes to get the paper delivered. <laughs> and uh, every day I open up the paper, and this is a little pinhole on a map called Modesto, California, and I can read about all the evil that transpired the night before. People getting beat up and murdered and raped and all that kind of stuff. And this is just one little city in our county. Think about all the different cities in the state of California. Think about all the different cities in the United States of America. Think about all the cities and towns across the globe. It's staggering to see the evil that just happens right here in our own town, let alone all the evil that's perpetrated all over the, the, the globe. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and you ought to underline that phrase in your notes, and I apologize, we ran out of programs. We just had a, a lot of people here last night in the first hour and stuff. But if you have a program, you ought to underline that phrase, when the day of evil comes. The question is, when is the day of evil? And I want you to know that today, beloved, is the day of, of evil. Today's the, 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 the day of evil. Paul isn't talking about some date in the future. You know, well, in, you know, March of 2018, you know, that, that's going to be the day of evil. No, today is the, 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 the day of, of evil. And the reason every day is the day of evil is because Satan and the demonic are still here. You see, ever since Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve were deceived into sinning against God, every day since that moment has been the day of evil. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said the thief's purpose, the devil's purpose, is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he wants to do. He just wants to mess up your life. He wants to mess up your marriage. He wants to mess up your spouse's life. He wants to mess up your children's lives, your parents' lives, your grandparents' lives, your grandkids' lives. You're here and you know Christ and you're trying to operate a godly business. He just wants to mess all that up. That's all he wants to do. Jesus said, but my purpose is way different. My purpose is to give them, that's you, a rich and satisfying life. 
Our brother Peter penned these words. He said, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. The Holy Spirit filled the life of Peter and said, Peter, I want you to pin these words. I want my people to understand something, that they have a great enemy. And that's the devil. And then we're, we're given in one sentence our enemy's uh, job description. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. That's what he does. He wants to goof up your life as an individual. He wants to goof up your marriage if you're married. He wants to goof up your children, your family. That's all he wants to do. And so it's good to know that every day that you wake up, right, you got God living within you. That ought to give you a lot of peace. But here's the deal. You also need to understand that when you wake up in the morning, you got an enemy. There's evil all around you. So how do we as Christians overcome our enemy? How, how, do, we, how do we protect ourselves? Well, last week I gave you six things. If you want to win the war over your enemy, number one, and I think it all begins here, you have to have a healthy respect for your enemy. If you don't have a healthy respect for your enemy, not, not, nothing else is going to matter. And some of you, bless your souls, you know Christ as your Savior, you don't have a healthy respect for your enemy. And how I know that is, you woke up this morning and you, you ate a meal, you watched some TV, you goofed around with your uh, smartphone, you answered some emails, you did a lot of things, but you haven't prayed, have you? You, you didn't even think about the fact that you've got an enemy out there who doesn't like you, doesn't care about you, he's evil, powerful, doesn't like the new you. You never even thought about the fact that your enemy out there wants to mess up your marriage, mess up your life, mess up your kids. You never thought about it. And the reason why you didn't think about it is because you don't have a healthy respect for him. And yet throughout the pages of this book, we see his handiwork. If you don't have a healthy respect for your enemy, you'll never get to number two. I talked about this last week, and, and that is you, you need to pray. When you understand that you got an enemy out there who's evil and wicked and powerful, and he hates the new you, he hates the fact that you're trying to live a, a God-honoring life, he hates the fact that you're trying to live a, a Christian life, a, a life that's living in, in, in the light, Man, it causes you to get to your knees and pray. And then, and then you know, Peter said you got to be alert, kind of got to walk through life alert. I talked about the fact that you need to be difficult. I talked about the fact that you need to be in relationship with other Christians. It's one of the beautiful things about the church. The wisest man that ever lived, Solomon said, that two people are better than one. And then he gives a lot of reasons. And one of those reasons is if somebody falls down and you're with somebody, they can pick you right back up again, right? And in this war that we're in, we need to surround ourselves with other believers. Because the war is going to go on, and guess what? There are going to be times when, when you fall. And so it's important to have, a, if you're a guy, to have some other buddies around you. Maybe you're part of our men's ministry or whatever. If you're a gal, you got to be a part of our gal's ministry. So that there's always somebody around you who can be saying, Hey, listen, man, are you praying? Are you alert? Are you being difficult? And when you've fallen and stumbled, you, you've sinned, you've goofed up, there's someone there to lift you up and say, come on, let's do this right, come on. 
And then I ended last week by telling you that you need to put on the, 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 the Lord's armor, the, you know, God's armor, which is what I'm going to talk about today. I want you to listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6. You can turn in your Bibles there if you want, or it'll come up on the jumbotrons. But the Bible says this in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That's an interesting bit of information, isn't it, believer? This morning when you woke up, yes, God still lives within you, but your enemy who did not sleep, guess what? He thought through a whole nother set of landmines he put out in your path today. Schemes, things he's hoping that will mess up your life, mess up your marriage, mess up your family, mess up your business, whatever it might be. He goes on and says, For our struggle as believers is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And what he's given us here is kind of a hierarchy of the demonic world. Satan and the demons obviously are not omnipresent. They're not like Jesus. They're not like God. God can be everywhere at any time he wants, at any moment he wants. He's everywhere, in other words. Satan can't be everywhere at once. And so the only way he's going to influence um, the globe is he has to have a hierarchy of demons that are spread out over the globe. And Paul just gave us a little taste of what that is. That the war that we have is not a war against one another. Your, your great enemy isn't your spouse. Your great enemy isn't your parents. Your great enemy isn't your children or your boss. Your great enemy, it's a spiritual battle. It's against our great enemy and his demons. And then he says, therefore, because of all that, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he talks about praying. And I'm going to stop right, right there. Paul just gave us as believers some really valuable information. If you want to overcome your great enemy, you want to make sure that you live a God-honoring life, a, a, a life that is fruitful. You want to make sure that your family lives a, a, you know, in harmony and unity with one another. You want to make sure that, that you as a, a business owner can make sure that when the enemy comes to attack your business, that somehow you overcome, you need to listen really carefully. And I want you to know that this is a, a very theological message. That this little passage of scripture is all about knowing and understanding theological truth. It's about understanding doctrine. The greater your understanding of truth, the greater your understanding of doctrine, the greater the chances that you're going to Stand firm when your enemy attacks. So let's get into this, okay? Number one, 
How do you overcome the devil's schemes? Well, to overcome the devil's schemes, you've got to know and understand God's truth. Verse 14 says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And it all begins right here. It's about having the belt of truth on. And the belt is an important thing in our wardrobe, isn't it? You, you, if you don't have a belt on, then the chances are pretty good your pants are going to fall down around your waist. And it's hard to move around. It's hard to, you know, do anything with your pants around your waist. But that tends to be the picture of the American Christian today. The American Christian really isn't standing firm in their faith, and it all has to do with the fact that the first piece of the armor hasn't been cinched up, and that is the belt of truth, and that's where it all begins, is the belt of truth. There's great power in knowing and understanding the Word of God. If you want to win the war over your enemy, it all begins with knowing God's truth, the Bible. Truth isn't relative. Truth is revealed. Truth isn't figured out by our circumstances. It's revealed by God who sits above all of our circumstances and sees all. And if you're not committing, you know, committed to knowing God's truth, the Bible, you might as well just surrender. If you're, listen, if you're not committed to knowing the truth, having the belt of truth since around your waist, just walk out onto your porch with a white flag and just say, Satan, here's my life. Here's my marriage. <laughs> Here are my kids. Here's my business. The only bummer with that illustration is this. Is it doesn't take any prisoners. You stand out there with the white flag up, and guess what? He's just going to take you out. But there are too many Christians that do not have the belt of truth cinched up. Oh, the truth's kind of around their waist, but their pants are hanging down because they didn't cinch it up. They weren't committed to knowing the truth. You see, John chapter 8 said this about our enemy. He, that's our great enemy, has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's found in John chapter eight. Sorry it's not up on the jumbotrons, but that's what the Bible says, that he's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. So Satan, your enemy, is a liar. Everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. When he tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he lied to them. That's what he does. It's the very first thing that we see from our great enemy. It says this in Genesis chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied, Eve replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And here it comes. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you'll, you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Beloved, 
Satan lied because God did say that if they ate from that tree, they would die. It tells us that that in in Genesis chapter 2. Listen, here's the deal. Satan lied in the garden. The very first book of the Bible, chapter 3 of of Genesis, we see the liar lying. That's what he does. It's the only thing he can do is lie. So the greatest way that he's going to attack you, Christian, is by telling you a lie. And if you don't have the belt of truth cinched up, if you don't know what the truth is, you're easy pickings. (laughs) There's all these voices out there. You you hear them on the television set, you know, sitcoms and movies and commercials. You see it in movies. You hear it in the music of today. There's all these lies that Satan keeps throwing out at you. And if you aren't committed to knowing the truth, I want you to know, you're goofed up. Now, obviously, it takes more than just knowing the truth, right? Adam and Eve knew the truth. God had a Bible study. The very first Bible study you find in the Bible is found in Genesis. God tells Adam, Adam, don't eat from that tree. And we see the second Bible study that had to take place in the Bible because Adam then tells Eve, Eve hadn't been created yet. And Adam tells Eve, Eve, here's the truth. Don't eat from that tree because you'll die. So they knew the truth and they still fell. So it takes more than just knowing the truth, but it all begins with at least knowing the truth. The Bible says this in Psalms chapter 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And the key word there is might. Because as I said, it takes more than just knowing God's truth to overcome your enemy. As I just explained, Adam and Eve knew the truth and yet they lost the battle. So so it takes more than that. But I'll tell you, it begins with at least knowing what God's word says. You got to at least know what God's word says says, Dr. MacArthur said this, he said, quote, internalizing the word is a believer's best weapon to defend against encroaching sin. And certainly that is true. That's the belt of truth. It's I, 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 I have a desire to know and understand the word of God. And let me tell you something. If the only time you ever get into the Word of God is here on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night, you do not have the belt of truth cinched up. It may be on your pants and your buckles and all that, but it takes way more than just showing up here on a Sunday to say, hey, I've got the belt of truth cinched up. It's a a, a daily kind of, man, I'm digging into this thing. I, I I need to know it. And there never comes a moment where you go, oh, I got it. The longer I study this book, the more I realize how little I really know about it. And so the belt of truth is the first piece of armor that that you've got to put on. Look, look, here's the bottom line. Whenever God says something about anything on any subject, and God has said a lot of things about a lot of subjects, 
things like work and marriage and morality, us as humans, sin, heaven, hell, and all that. Whatever God says about these topics and, and other topics is truth. And you need to know them. Because the enemy's a liar, Christian, and you'll never stand firm if you don't know the truth. Now, I also believe that the belt of truth has a second meaning, and, and that's this. Not, not only do you need to know the truth, but you also need to live a, a truthful life. And what do I, what do I m- mean by that? What do I mean by a truthful life? Well, a person that lives a truthful life isn't fake. They're not hypocrites. They're truthful about their life. In other words, uh, another word that could be used for a truthful life might be they're, they're a person of integrity. And integrity is different than reputation. You, you can have a great reputation with people and yet have no integrity. Reputation is what other people think about you. <laughs> integrity, uh, as one man said, is who you are when no one's around. What kind of person are you in the dark kind of a thing? You see, a truthful person or a person with integrity doesn't act one way here at church and then another way Monday on the job or Wednesday on the golf course or whatever it might be. They're truthful about their life. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 15, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. And I want you to know that if this is your attitude, if you say all the right things, but down in your heart, you you, you really don't want to be truthful, the enemy's, you know, already won. When you live a hypocritical life, it makes it really easy for the devil to to kind of goof you up. It's one thing to come in here and sing songs and, you know, put some shekels in an offering basket and all that kind of stuff. It's easy. Man, on Sunday mornings, you know, all over the globe, there's a lot of righteous living going on, you know? (laughs) It's another thing to walk out of here and say, you know what, I'm going to live a truthful life. I've got the belt of truth. I really want to know the truth, and I'm committed to living a truthful life. In in, uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah gives this challenge to the people. It's beautiful. It says, then Elijah stood in front of them, this big group of people, and he said, well, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. In other words, live truthfully, live with integrity, live live a sincere life, pick whatever it is you believe, and then live it out. Be truthful about what you believe. It's a beautiful scene. Elijah kind of draws this line in the sand, and in a New Testament sense, he would say, listen, in America, you're free. If you got the belt of truth on and you really want to know what truth is, look, then live that way. Live truthfully. If you really don't want to do that, then live however you want to live. But don't try to straddle the fence. It just doesn't work. You leave yourself open to the attacks of of the enemy. Joshua said this in Joshua chapter 24. He said, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord only. But... If you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve, 
Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? And then he makes this declaration. This is a man who has the belt of truth on. He says, but as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what we're going to do. We're committed to serving God. That's what we're committed to. And we're going to live truthful lives. That's what I'm, I'm going to encourage my family. I'm going to do all that I can to make sure my family is serving the Lord. None of this, well, you know, I don't, uh, Sundays I'll be at church. Wednesdays, you know, women's ministries, I'm always here. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, but, you know, then I get together, you know, on Wednesdays with my book club, and who knows what comes out of my mouth? Who knows what kind of gossip I'm involved in? No, no. The belt of truth is I'm committed to truth, and I'm committed to living a truthful life. And it's the first step, because it's, you don't have the belt of truth on, none of the other armor is going to hang properly. It just isn't going to work very well. It won't matter if your pants are down around your ankles, whether you got all the rest of the stuff on. And so that's, that's where it begins. So that takes us to number two. The shield of faith. To overcome the devil's scheme, or, or the God's, uh, the breastplate of righteousness. To overcome the devil's schemes, you've got to know and understand God's righteousness. So at the, verse 14 says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And here's the deal, beloved. There's great power in knowing and understanding that everything between you and God has been made right. Remember, the devil's a liar. He's going he's to tempt you to go after lies and to, and to you know, uh, seek after lies and go after lies. So you've got to know the truth. But he's also going to come along and he's going to whisper in your ear. He's going to use other people. You know what? You're really not right with God. I saw you kick the dog. I saw how you treated your wife, you see. And you begin to think somehow that, well, maybe I'm not right with God. As I said, it obviously takes more than just knowing the Word of God to defeat the enemy. It takes more than just knowing truth. It also takes a commitment to, to righteous living or holy living. And by the way, they overlap. When you put the breastplate on, it overlaps the belt of truth. And a lot of these do, these pieces of armor kind of overlap. Now, I want to unpack this thought for you, okay? I want you just to, to listen very carefully. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the first man-made religion, or, the, or man's first attempt to make himself righteous before God. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are deceived by the devil, our great enemy, to sin. And at that moment, our relationship, uh, their relationship with God was severed. They were no longer right with God. They were messed up because of their sin. And they knew it. They knew they were no longer right with God. And it's immediately after that we see the first man-made religion. We see man's first attempt to make himself right with God. It says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were open. At the moment that they sinned, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. That they knew, oh man, something's messed up. We're not right with God anymore. 
And so what do they do? Here it is. Here's the first man-made religion. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Oh, man, something's wrong. This ain't good. And so they found, you know, the fig leaves, sewed them all together, put them in all the right spots. This will make us right before God. This makes everything okay. And it may have worked for a little while until God showed up. And when God showed up, they immediately knew they weren't right before him because the Bible says they're jumping into bushes. They're hiding from him. They knew they were not right with God anymore. And here it is all these thousands of years later, and guess what a lot of people are out doing? They're out sowing fig leaves, trying to make themselves right with God. They're working real hard, doing all of these things to somehow make themselves right with God. <laughs> Beloved, you can't do anything to make yourself right with God. I don't care how many uh, uh, Eagle Scout awards you've won. I don't care how much money you put in the offering. I don't care how many missions trips you go on. I, I, don't, I don't care how many older ladies you've helped walk across the street. I don't care. You cannot make yourself right before God. All of your righteous acts are like fig leaves just sewn together. Isaiah put it this way. He said, we are all infected and impure with sin, and that's because of our sin that came from Genesis chapter 3. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. That's brutal. What Adam and Eve did, those fig leaves, filthy rags, all your efforts, filthy rags, they don't make you right with God. Romans chapter 3 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Everybody has turned away. They've together become worthless. There's no one who do, does good, not even one. There's one club we're all members of, and that is the unrighteous club. And you can't get out of it on your own. All the money in the world can't get you out of that club. All the good deeds you have ever done can't get you out of that club. So if all our good deeds, our righteous deeds, don't make us righteous, well, how are we made righteous? How, how are we made right with God? Well, Romans chapter 4 says this. For the scripture tells us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are are uh, not a gift, but something that they've earned, but people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, not because they make a bunch of fig leaves or do a bunch of good deeds or keep the law, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. That's how we're made righteous. That's it. And what the enemy's going to do, and what a lot of preachers do, and what a lot of churches do, is they say, well, you know what, yeah, you know, Jesus and dying on the cross and all that blood and stuff, it kind of made you righteous. But now you've got to work hard to maintain it. That's just evil. That's just evil. That, 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 hard, hard to stand firm, man, when, when, you, when you hear that kind of thing or you buy that kind of lie. 
And there's power when you understand that at the moment you received Christ, at the moment you invited Christ into your life, he brought with him his righteousness. And his righteousness made you righteous, period. That's the breastplate of righteousness, is knowing and understanding the fact that you are now right with God. Because the enemy's gonna tell you all kinds of lies. And by the way, when you really understand this truth, it'll motivate you to wanna live a righteous life. When you really understand that you had nothing to do with your righteousness, and that it was simply Christ, it'll motivate you to want to live a righteous life or a holy life or a, all that, whatever word you, you want to choose. The Bible says this. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Beloved, I do believe that you as a follower of Jesus have the responsibility to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. You have to have a hunger and thirst for holiness. You have to have a hunger and, and thirst for right living. But those, those righteous acts, that holy living, isn't what makes you right or keep you right. That's all been done by Christ. But if you really understand the righteousness of God, you'll want to live a righteous life. You will want to hunger and thirst after right living. You see, Satan tries to tempt you to hunger and thirst after other things. Homes and cars and money and boyfriends and girlfriends, sex, partying, immorality, whatever. He tempts us through all the TV shows and the music and, the, and friends, people we work with. And unfortunately, too many believers here in America, we do. We begin to hunger and thirst after those things. And those things ultimately won't satisfy. Oh, they'll, they'll satisfy for a while, you know. Give me a brand new car. You know, somebody wants to buy me a Bentley, I'll take it. And it'll feel good for a while. Wow, look at this thing, man. This isn't like my car, you know. And for a while, wow, it's, it's great. But there'll come a moment when ultimately it doesn't satisfy you. And so what we have to be careful of is that we don't, we don't buy into the lie of hungering and thirsting after, after those things. God says, if you'll hunger and thirst for righteousness, for holiness, I'll blow your mind. Romans chapter 6 says, because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which, you know, just led you deeper and deeper into sin. But now, now that you know Christ, now that you've been made right with God, you must give yourselves to being slaves to righteous living. Beloved, instead of being a slave to sin, make the choice of being a slave to what is right. And the cool thing is, is, is that if you'll make yourself a slave to right living, you'll never be freer in your life. Never. So the, 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 the first piece of the armor is let's get the belt of truth on. There's power when you're committed to knowing the truth. Then you put the, 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 the breastplate of righteousness on it. It protects your heart. Man, I know that I'm right before God and I have a desire to live a righteous life. 
And that brings us to the third piece of the armor, and that's the shoes. To overcome the devil's schemes, you, you got to know and understand God's peace. Now, now I want you to know that uh, as I've studied this, I, I, I spent more time on this one than all of them. And part of it was because not everybody agrees as to what all these pieces of armor are supposed to mean. I mean, you got some good scholars out there who they don't all agree. Uh, they probably all have some element of, of truth to them. And this is one that not everybody agrees on. But I'm going to tell you what, what I think. Verse 15 says, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And beloved, I want you to know that there's great power in knowing and understanding that you and God are at peace with one another. There's a difference between knowing that you're right with God and knowing that you and God have signed a peace treaty, if you will. That there's now peace between you. And I want to unpack this for you. Here's the picture that the Bible gives us of, of human beings. We're powerless, we're ungodly, we're sinners, we're unjustified, we're unsaved, we're, we're uh, the object of God's wrath. Some of you are in this room right now and you, 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 you can't stand the word of God. You don't even like it. You can hardly wait to get out of here because, man, the flesh doesn't like being confronted with, with Scripture. But it also tells us that we're enemies of God. And the list goes on and on and on. Now, some of you might be here and you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, I don't know Jesus, but I'm not an enemy of God. I'm here. I, I'm not hostile towards the things of God. I, I may not believe in Him. But don't tell me I'm an enemy of God. Romans chapter 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Peace has come because of what Jesus did. Romans 5 says this, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, you may not consider yourself an enemy of God, but the Bible is crystal clear. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're an enemy of God. There's no peace between you and God. He says, uh, so, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still enemies of his, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because the Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. And if you want to overcome the, the, uh, the, the, you know, the enemy who's going to attack you, you got to have the belt of truth on. I'm committed to knowing truth. I want to live a truthful life. You got to have the breastplate of righteousness on. I know that I'm right with God, and you got to have the shoes on. I know that peace has come between God and I. You see, most of the illustrations you see on TV about peace, you know, when one nation signs a peace treaty with another nation, basically a peace treaty is just a chance for everybody to reload. They never work. They never last. 
And so you can think, well, yeah, peace came, but you know what? I, once again, I kicked the dog, I yelled at my spouse, or I did whatever, and so there's not peace anymore between God and I. No, 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 no. When the peace treaty was signed, when you invited Christ into your life, he made you right. A peace treaty was signed, if you will, and it's not a chance for God to reload. He's not reloading. There's now peace. And there's great power when you understand that. With no matter what lies come at you, no matter what, I know that there's peace between God and I. Unbelievable. Now, um, if you don't really believe that God has made you right and you really don't believe that there's peace between you and God, the next piece of armor isn't gonna matter. And that's the, the shield of, of faith. Verse 16 says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows, arrows of the evil one. So number four, to overcome the devil's schemes, you, you gotta know and understand God's faithfulness. Because if you don't understand God's faithfulness, you'll never wanna get into the truth. You'll, you'll, you, you, you won't wanna take the shield of faith because you, you don't know whether he can be trusted or not. Well, why would I trust God? That's why it's super critical that you know and understand just how faithful God is. This piece of the armor is about trusting God. It's about believing God. It's about having faith in God. This is about believing that, that God is faithful, that God can be trusted to do what he says he'll do. And if you want to win the war over your enemy, you have to know and understand and have faith in God's faithfulness, you see. Now let me tell you how this works. If you don't know and understand the faithfulness of God, you, you, you just won't trust him with your life or trust him with your circumstances or whatever. If you don't know, you know and understand the faithfulness of God, you'll have a hard time you know, following his word because you don't know whether it can be trusted or not. Which then leaves you way open to the attacks of the enemy. The other day, uh, someone asked me, Pastor Rick, what is faith? Help me understand it. And I told this young man that faith was trusting God above all else. That's what it is. Faith is trusting God above all else, and when you trust God above all else, there's great power in that. This, the shield that Paul would have been talking about wasn't one of those small ones. It was the big one that could cover your whole body. And there's this idea that if you have your shield up and you're behind it, that when the enemy shoots his arrows at you, boom, boom. Those arrows could kill you. Those arrows can take you out, but I got the shield of faith up. And the enemy's gonna throw out all kinds of things. He's gonna lie to you about all kinds of things, and what you have to do is say, no, I believe God above all else. I believe in his word, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't agree with it. I believe God. I am gonna believe God. I'm not gonna believe, you know, what my friends say. I'm not gonna believe what the TV shows say. I'm not gonna believe what the music says. I'm gonna believe in God. And when you trust God, you have the shield of faith up. It's protecting you. In fact, I love what Psalms 18 says. God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He's a shield for all 
who look to him for protection. And what he's saying here is this, is that God's way is perfect. This, this is the perfect word of God. It's the inerrant word of God. And when you believe it, whether you get it or not, whether you like it or not, it is a shield. It protects you. And let me give you one illustration um, of how it works. And I'll use the illustration of immorality. Um, there are people out there that say Christians are, you know, prudes when it comes to, to sex and all that kind of stuff. And they're just showing how dumb they are and how ignorant they are. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, sex is a beautiful, beautiful, sacred and holy thing. God created it, and he says that, that it's only to be enjoyed within the context of, of um, one guy, one gal married. They made a covenantal relation, you know, entered into a covenantal relationship with one another. And if you'd believe that, you'd keep the shield up, uh, it'll protect you. Now, the world's screaming at you. You know, everybody's doing it, Sex in the City, whatever all those shows are, all the music, you know, no, no, no one's living, uh, you know, in purity. Everybody's just, it's crazy. And when you go, you know what? I know God says that sex is only supposed to be between a husband and wife, but here's the deal, I don't know. I mean, I really love her. I really love him. And you take it down. And you don't believe God anymore. You've just left yourself wide open to all kinds of pain and sorrow. You keep the shield up. You'll never have to worry about um, gonorrhea. You'll never have to worry about syphilis. You'll never have to worry about, I don't know, herpes. You'll never have to worry about, I don't know, warts. You'll never have to worry about, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And by the way, isn't it interesting the world doesn't talk about any of those things? <laughs> never have to worry about a pregnancy that you don't, you know. But it feels so good. I love them. Forget about all those things, but all of you can attest, most of you can, when you end up blowing God off and you get involved in immorality, ladies, you, you allow a guy to go inside of your body and then you break up. Smartache, pain. It's devastating. I've been here at this church for 30 years. The majority of it for 20, I work with teenagers. I have spoke to tens upon tens of thousands of teenagers at camps and all over the, the, the country. 
and 99.9999999% of all of the teenagers I've counseled, and this would be true of adults too, is because a teenager they put down the shield and and there they sit in my office and I'm pulling the arrow out and putting Neosporin on the thing and telling them, listen, you believe God above all else. I don't care what everybody else is doing. Don't bring the shield down. You stay behind it. And they may call you weird and you may be a weirdo and they may call you a bigot. They may call you a hater. They may call you all kinds of stuff. But better to be called a name than have to come in here and have an arrow taken out of you. By the way, 99.999% of all of the adults that I deal with are because they made a decision. You know what? Do I believe God? Do I trust God and what God has to say about finances? Nah. I'm not going to do that. They made a choice to go against what God has to say about finances or whatever. And the next thing you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with arrows that are oh, they're painful. And the enemy has a whole lot of them. I just use one. And by the way, my, my point wasn't to make anybody feel bad in here. My point was to simply give an illustration. And some of you can say, you know what, that guy's crazy. I mean, there's nothing wrong. I mean, before you get married, I mean, you got to know if you're sexually compatible, right? You got to kick the tires, right? You've heard that before. Boy, isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful, what a, what, what? And you know what's weird? Is Satan's so good, some of you go, well, well, yeah. Well, that's a great thought that somebody's kicking the tires, man. This beautiful, sacred thing. And we boiled it down to kicking the tires, man. Really sad, the world we live in today. Really sad. You know what? Maybe for some of you, you're going to walk out of here today going, you know what? I... I got the belt of truth cinched up, kind of. It's kind of around my waist. But I'm going to pull it up, cinch it on. I want to know the truth. I'm going to live the truth. I'm going to know about my righteousness. I'm right before God. Peace has been made. And you know what? I'm putting the shield up from here on out. I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to believe God with my life. He knows best for my life. Even though Satan and the world's going to throw all kinds of crummy things at you and tell you all kinds of crummy things. N- n- number five. To overcome the devil's scheme, you've got to know and understand God's salvation. Verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation. You've got to have that on. And the point there isn't, hey, listen, in the middle of the war, get saved. No, he's talking, about, he's talking to us as believers He's talking about somebody who's already saved. 
So here's what he's talking about in that verse. He's not talking about getting saved, but there's great power in knowing, understanding the depths of your salvation. One of the things Satan loves to do, and he's good at it, is that he loves to tell Christians that they're really not saved, that God doesn't love them anymore, that they're going to die, or you know, they're not going to go to heaven, or whatever, or somehow they've lost their salvation, because if he can get you to believe you know, that lie, then you're in big trouble. And let me just quickly say this. There are, there are three aspects of our salvation. You want to stand firm. you got the belt of truth on. I know I'm right with God. I'm, I've got peace with God. i got the right shoes on. I got, my, I, got, I got my shield up. I'm believing God above all else. And the helmet of salvation is, is this. It has to deal with your past, your past sins, if you, if you will. God's salvation frees you from the penalty of sin. That's the first aspect of your salvation. And, and you ought to write that down. God's salvation frees you from the penalty of your sin. We call this justification. God, once you receive Christ into your life, God now sees you just as if you've never sinned. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty of sin. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So the first part of understanding your salvation is, is that the penalty, death, totally separated from God throughout all of eternity, done. It's all been taken care of. Then you've got the present. God's salvation frees you from the power of sin. We call this sanctification. Yes, you don't have to worry about the penalty, but now you've got cleansing from the power of sin in your life today. And I think in John chapter 16 or, or John chapter 13, we see a great illustration of this. It says when Jesus came to Peter, he's, he's washing the disciples' feet. Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you don't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. And then Jesus said this, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And here's what he was saying. Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, you've been washed. You're cleansed. But as we go through life, our feet get a little bit dirty. We sin. We don't always love the way we're supposed to love. We don't always show mercy the way we're supposed to show mercy. Sometimes we get a little short with our spouses. I don't know, we kick the cat or whatever it is. You don't need to get saved again. You don't need to be washed again. You just need to have your feet clean. Just confess your sin. That's the sanctification process. So the first aspect of your salvation is that it frees you from the penalty of your sin. The second aspect of your salvation frees you from the, uh, the, the power of sin. And then the third is this. God's salvation frees you from um, the presence of sin. We call this glorification, the future. Past, sin's done. Present, man, I've got the power to overcome them. And there's coming a day when I'll be in heaven and I won't even be in the presence of sin anymore. And that's called glorification. And when you understand that, you got the helmet on, and the enemy comes, I'm committed to knowing truth. 
I know I'm right with God. There's peace with God. I got the seal of faith up. I'm believing God. And I know just how deep my salvation is. <laughs> wow. Make a difference in your life, don't you think? Make a difference in your family. Now, when you get to number six and seven, and I'm just going to let you fill in the blanks here, really, most scholars, and I believe that these are the two offensive weapons. Remember, Paul was talking about how to stand firm. He wasn't talking about how to go take back any territory. He's just been talking about how to stand firm. And then you get to number six, and that is, you know, to overcome the devil's schemes, you've got to know and understand God's truth. And yes, I know that's exactly what I said in, in, in you know, number one. I know that. I did this on purpose. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of, of God. And that sword wasn't the big swords that maybe you see in, you know, gladiator and that. There, there were little swords, uh, machiras, and it was an offensive weapon. And so the idea is you pull that baby out and, you know, let's do it, man. After you've stood firm, the devil's attacked you all different kinds of ways. Let's go, baby. And, 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 and now you're taking back some ground. And the only way you take back the ground is you've got to know the Word of God. Once again, you've got to know the Word of God. It all comes back around to that. And then number seven, to overcome the devil's schemes, you've got to spend a lot of time with God in prayer. The Bible says in James chapter 5, when a believing person prays, great things happen. So here's what I want you to imagine in your, in your minds as I wrap this up, okay? You've got this enemy. He hates you, doesn't care about you. He's powerful, he's evil. Every day you get up, you've got to face him. And here's what God says to you, brothers, sisters. Got the belt on? Man, I really want to know truth. And I want to live a truthful life. You got the breastplate of righteousness on? Man, I know, God, that everything's been made right. Everything's okay. Got the right shoes on? I know, God, that there's peace between us. God, I'm going to believe you above all else. I may not like what your word says. I may not understand everything your word says. But I'm going to believe it. I got the shield of faith up. God, I know just how deep my salvation goes. I'm not going to experience the penalty of sin. I know that there's power to cleanse me of my daily sin. And I know someday I won't even be in the presence of sin. And God, I got my sword. I'm ready to go, Lord. And now, God, I'm going to spend some time talking with you because you're the one who's all-powerful. You have that kind of mindset. I'll never see you in our, our counseling department. You'll never make a, an appointment with any pastor. If you, if you really kind of go into each day like that, and by the way, the idea in this passage is that 
you know, at night when you go to bed, you don't go, okay, I'll take the belt off and hang it up, and I take the breastplate, take it off, take the helmet off. No, 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 no. Because um, the enemy can strike at any moment. Two o'clock in the morning, you don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> you know, hold on, man. You know, you know. The idea is, is that you go to bed with it all on. You go to bed with it. So that no matter what happens, whatever time you get up, I'm ready. I'm ready. I understand these things. I got it, God. I understand the depths of it all. I guarantee it'll make a difference in your life, make a difference in your marriage, make a difference in your family. Over in the venue, wanted to stand up. Everybody in here, stand up, real, real quick here. And I just want you to close your eyes for just a second. Don't pray. Just close your eyes. And I know that for many of you, um, this is way different than most sermons. It was like drinking water from a fire hydrant. And I could have taken each of these pieces and probably made a month series out of all of them, but I wanted to go through them all together at one moment. And it's okay if a lot of it went over your head. That's okay. But it's not okay to just go, well, I, I don't care about it. If that's your attitude, then you don't have the belt on. I hope that there are many of you who go, wow, I, I, gotta, I gotta do some research on all this. Yeah, you do. That's the belt. I want knowing the truth. And for some, you may wanna go back online and just watch it again this week or listen to it again this week. It's free. Or you can go out and spend a buck and buy it here. Because I guarantee you, because God guarantees it, that if you keep this armor on, man, you'll stand. Your life will be different. Your family will be different. Your marriage will be different. And if you're here, and I don't know, my little illustration about immorality, I, 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 my, my point wasn't to poke you in the eye. Just using an illustration. That's truth. Father, thank you, God. I, I love my church. I love being here. and I'm glad we had a chance to kick off this new year by talking about spiritual warfare. Lord, I hope that somehow those that name the name of Jesus Christ who consider this their home would, would really live differently this year. Something would trigger in their minds about this warfare we're in, the importance of how we battle the, the enemy. Thanks for your goodness to us, Jesus. Give us a, a great afternoon, whether we're eating lunch, hanging out with our families, or with friends, or whatever, Lord. And I pray this in your name, and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you guys. Live for Christ.